Hey everyone, and welcome to another session of the Waterbury Palace Theater's Concert Conversations. I'm your host, Tom the Suit Forest. I'm a Blues Hall of Fame musician, and I love to talk to people from Connecticut about the Connecticut music scene, whether that is a musician or someone behind the scenes that is helping music stay alive in our area. Concha Conversations is brought to you by a wonderful sponsor, Ion Bank. And today, we have someone who I really think is a very interesting guest. We talked a lot about uh, musicians, we talked to them, and we get their perspective. But today, we're going to talk to someone who's had 30 years of writing about the music scene here in Connecticut and probably has a much different and probably a more valid view of the music industry. And that's Kelly Lambert. Kelly, how you doing? Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Uh, we did a little bit of talking off uh, air and um, I, knew it, I knew you were going to have a, a great deal of information for us but I did not also realize that you were kind of a music um, history buff. <laughs> yes, I am. I, I do like learning about where we came from, you know, musically. Um, I think that says a lot about who we are as people, and it gives insight to new music that comes out. So that's a, a passion of mine. I like history in general, so of course I like music history as well. Well, you know, I'm I'm always impressed by that. I I have a, a another show called Chase and the Blues, and I talk to pretty big stars, and I'm always amazed by their name dropping. I don't have that wherewithal. I have to ask the questions to get the information, and and you may know uh, Christine Allman, who's a real good friend of mine. Yes, yes. You She's want to fabulous. talk? You want to talk about a history? Uh, somebody with knowledge of history. That's the person. She's, she knows more about. I, I just sit there and listen. You know, I, I never even talk when I'm with her because it just, uh, it just comes out. So let's just talk about you for a second. I, I'm going to go to your your family life. Is it true that you have twins? I do have twins. Yes, <laughs> I have. I have an 18 year old um, daughter who is actually she's a freshman. In college, she's um, studying music education, so hmm. the music uh, thing runs deep in our family. So she is at West Western Connecticut State University, which was, has a fabulous um, performing arts school. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very um, proud of her accomplishments and getting in there. But I also have 11-year-old twins who are in fifth grade, a boy and a girl. Wow. And, you know, they are, they keep me very, very busy and on my toes. So. Yeah, we, we have twins running in our family, not me specifically, but in our family. And, uh, boy, the, the parents are running around like crazy uh, constantly. So, yeah, this year, has been, this year has been fun, too, with them being home a lot with, um, you know, the virtual school and all oh, of that. So. Yeah. Whew. 
Yeah, I, you're making me feel tired just by, <laughs> just by, and and their ages. You know, I <laughs> I yeah. have two girls myself, so I I definitely know know how that works. So how do you fit in? Let Let's kind of talk about that for a second because I know you're a very busy person. You have uh, you do a lot. Uh, you're a writer, you're a thinker, and you're a coffee drinker, according yeah. to your uh, your Facebook. So give give us a little bit of background. So I did not come to this whole um, career of mine in a straight path, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think that's um, a valid, I, it, you know, it, to talk about my current life, my, my full-time job actually is at Post University, where I'm a professor and a, um, I'm the associate program chair for the communication and media studies department. And I have my students, you know, on campus that are, my daughter, my older daughter's age. And I often share with them how sometimes it's really hard to figure out what you want to do as a teenager. You know, you're, you're forced with making decisions about how, you, you know, what you want to do with your life. And your parents are, you know, probably going to help you invest in this college education. So figuring out what you want to do uh, for the rest of your life is kind of hard. And I know when I was 18 years old, my path was much different than it ended up now and i i was originally a history major in college mm-hmm. and i ended up getting a marketing degree and but in the back of my you know in my head i i always loved to write i just couldn't figure out how that would translate to like making a living we'll say um and so i you know, in hindsight, we didn't have, I didn't have a, a, a student newspaper in high school. So I never had that chance to figure out maybe, you know, journalism was that thing for me. So when I um, graduated, you know, graduated from college, it was in a recession in 1992. And there were like basically no jobs. And I ended up applying for a job at the newspaper to type uh, classified ads, believe it or not. Hmm. And I didn't type fast enough. I, I like apparently like was not as fast a typist as I needed to be to take them over the phone. But I was very good with like grammar and all and, and the spelling. So they offered me a job writing obituaries at the Republican American. And I took it, you know, and I figured I'd look for something else on the side because it was part time. And I was a huge music fan, so I was going out and seeing a lot of bands, um, whether it was local bands or bands that were traveling through the state. And I was in Hartford one night at a at the Russian Lady. Actually, was the name of the. Um, what a great place. what a great old yeah. place, yeah. Yeah, and they, you know, you'd walk. You know, this was very common then. You'd you'd leave, you know, by the door of the venue, the bar there would be music magazines, like free music magazines that you could grab and take with you. Right. And there there was one that was there called the Hartford Planet. It was like a big color um, publication that was very new. And I brought it home and inside there was an ad looking for writers and people to write about music. So I kind of threw something together and I sent it to them and they liked it. And that was kind of like the start of it all. Um, 
so I had, you know, I was always drawn to writing about music. Even in high school, I'd write like, you know, we'd have to do something about poetry and I'd pick song lyrics and put them in my papers and different things. But this was really the first time that I um, really was able to think about this could be something to do for fun. I was thinking of it in that way, I guess. Um, and I, they, they call, you know, they called me, they started giving me more and more assignments, so to speak, versus like me just submitting things I wanted to write. And it was a very interesting time because I wasn't getting paid for any of it, but the exposure and the experience was so valuable. And I often say this to young people, sometimes, you know, you shouldn't be taken advantage of, but if you could get some experience, even if you're not paid for it, that's going to translate to separating you from everybody else on your, you know, resume when you go to get a job. So, you know, like there was, there were little venues that had bands coming through and this is like a good example, maybe of something that I was able to do that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Rage Against the Machine was the opening act for oh, wow. uh, someone at the Sting in New Britain, um, and that that's no longer there, the Sting. But right. I had the opportunity to go and you know talk to them and hang out on their tour bus with them, you know, at 22 years old, um, and that you know I had so so what ended up happening was there was someone who was writing the Connecticut music column at the Republican American. There was actually a few people before me that had that column, but they were leaving. And I had the stack of clips from these music magazines, including the Hartford planet that I basically handed to the editor and said, you know, I know I don't have the experience for maybe a full-time reporting job right now, but I want the column. And would you let me, um, try, you know, to take over this music column. And <laughs> I'll never forget it because her um, supervisor basically said to me, we'll let you have it on a trial basis. And then I laughed because I don't think they ever said stop. So <laughs> I don't know if like now, you know, how many decades You're, you're later, still on trial? I'm still on a trial basis. <laughs> but, um, but so that, um, so that was kind of my launch into getting paid for writing about music. That's and, great. Um, I, I, you know, it, it obviously grew from there. I, I did other things, many other things for the newspaper and I ended up full-time features uh, writer in the features department covering like music and entertainment and pop culture and fashion and all sorts of different um, topics over the years. But that was, music was always my thing. I was always very interested in music. Even my high school friends will say like that they, that I was always like the trivia, you know, music trivia person. And I, they knew I really loved music. I was, you know, I go downtown to see the professor on Bank Street and, mm -hmm buy albums from him and music magazines from England. And I, you know, I liked obscure music. I was, I graduated high school in 1987. So I'm a real eighties girl, we'll say. Uh, and I liked British new wave music and um, that I was really into music my whole life. So that's wow. how I ended up with the column and it kind of went from there. So, uh, I, so that's to the, and that, and that was before the Republican uh, American, right? My my um the the music column. 
is in the is in the Republican American. Yeah, right, right. Thursdays, right. Yeah, yeah. But I was always the Hartford Planet was before that. Right. And I wrote for some other things as well. And I actually got involved working for some bands around the same time in my early twenties, where I would there was one particular band from Maine that I had a great connection with and I did publicity for them. So they traveled like up and down the East Coast a lot. So I would contact publications before they were going to do a show in a town and send them their bio and press kit and see if they'd want to talk to them or preview their show. So I did that for a few years. Um, I also did, I booked a band, um, you know, and managed a band from, that was in Connecticut for a while. And that was an interesting experience. <laughs> I bet. So I, you know, I've, I've always had my hand in um, that side of music, not me performing, but like the, you know, the, the, the back side of it that people don't know as much about. Well, so. that's, that's the hard work that, that is for sure. You know, I, t I tell people that, um, as, as a touring musician, you know, if you're not a musician and you're not aware you think that a musician gets up on stage and all they're thinking about is the art, you know, the music. The, the hard reality is you're thinking about, oh, gosh, you know, the person who runs the venue said, uh, you know, I hope you guys aren't too loud. And, and the bass player had a little too much and, you know, he's a little off and, you know, the sound in the room is no good. And you got, you know, you made an enemy out of the sound, man. Uh, it just goes on and on. And, and the music somehow sneaks into all of that. Right. There's a lot of work involved in yeah. a show. And I don't think that most people understand that, you know, like the, the band that I uh, worked with for a while from Maine, they used, they actually played at the Russian lady, which I mentioned before, like one weekend a month, they'd play a Friday night and a Saturday night. And they were a cover slash original band. So uh -huh. they had original music. They were trying to like, you know, sell and they had CDs and, uh, but they also did covers, but just, you know, the setup, the load in, you know, they had to load in a couple flights of stairs up a fire escape, right? you know, They'd Been set there. it up, they'd sound check, then you're waiting around for the show to start for hours, you know, and then you finally start at nine, nine o'clock at night, maybe, um, and play till closing, and then you got to break everything down and load it out, and, you know, and then there's, you know, the whole aspect of getting paid, you know, will the, the venue person pay you what they said? Um, yeah, or you know, come up, getting... or come up with an excuse. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I, I don't know if people realize it, but if you're doing a theater, as an example, with a whole sound crew, you know, you might need to get there three or four o'clock before a nine or ten o'clock show um, to set up and do your sound check, especially if there's more than one band. Um, right. And you know, you're trying to share the stage, and that's always a problem. And then you do the sound check, and then you are literally just sitting there waiting and waiting you know so let, i want to kind of go to some of these articles uh, by the way i want i wanted to mention as soon as i thought of the republican american i used to work at channel 20 do you remember that channel man you might even be too young for this but channel 20 was across the street in that kind of oval shaped building Okay, yep. Yeah, I know where, where the courthouse is now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was where Channel 20 was, and I was there for a couple of years uh, uh, as a manager. Um, 
It was a, it, it, you know, Waterbury's an interesting city for sure. Uh, uh, I, I loved it and didn't love it at the same time, you know, when I was when I was there. But uh, I just thought I'd mention it. So I, I looked at your articles and you have a lot of articles. And uh, I saw one that popped out at me. Um, where was it? Uh, Hilton Valentine. Uh, great, great guy. Uh, yes. He died recently. And uh, you wrote an article about him called uh, Sunsets for a Connecticut uh, Musical Legend. Uh, I know him. Uh, <laughs> we had an interesting conversation. We were both doing a TV show. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if he was kind of goofing with me or what. But he said, you know, uh, that little song that we wrote, uh, uh, House of the Rising Sun. He said, you know. He said, I, I kind of stole those chords. He said, I was walking to rehearsal and there was a band that was rehearsing down the street. And I heard them do this these chord changes because House of Rising Sun for musicians is A minor, G, F, and E. And it's it's hypnotic. And he said, you know, I, I listened to it and I thought that might be good for this little song that we wrote. So anyway, that's my story. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I say, I mean, that's, the, like, that, that's like such a you know the song is so iconic. Yeah, and uh, in, in the world of music, so uh, it's interesting. I I think I almost learned more after he died about him being here than realizing he was here. You know, if that makes any sense. You know, like um, sometimes, unfortunately, when you know people pass away. It, it's it's you wish you gave them more credit when they were alive you know i don't know i i, I sometimes feel that way when i see you know i hear things about musicians passing away i was going back through some of my thoughts about writing about music and i that i i think i mentioned this to you is that you know the nostalgia for certain things i um one of the moments that really hit me hard in writing about music and being a music fan was when I think it was 2016 we lost David Bowie and Prince in the same year right right and I never really um you know musicians have died you know I've lived through obviously many musicians die dying um this actually this this week I know this will air after this week but um is the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. And I remember exactly where I was. Like everybody remembers exactly where they were when somebody famous um, dies that has some kind of impact on their life. But when David Bowie and Prince passed away, I felt like that was really a blow to me because that was like my teen years. And it made me think so much about how music is such like, it's like the soundtrack to our lives and how, um, the thought that, you know, especially for me, it was David Bowie. I was a big David Bowie fan in high school and I just was, I didn't know he was sick, I think. Mm. Um, and it was such a shock and thinking about, um, that was such an, you know, an important part of my memories and he was gone and it was, it, I don't know. So I do think that sometimes when these people pass away, that are these legendary figures that we've listened to that have created these songs that um, are kind of woven into our memories. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. 
Um, yeah. You know, uh, for me, it was Prince. And one of the reasons is that, uh, I don't know if, if a lot of people know this, maybe it is common knowledge, but some of his songs, he did all the parts. So he would be in a studio for days doing all yeah. the parts. He'd mix them himself and he'd present them to the to the record company. I mean, that's to me yeah. and 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 I do kind of that myself in my own studio and I was and that just was like wow it's so great to know that somebody that did something so high quality did all that you know yeah he was really a, a genius yeah. you know like there's no I I was lucky I feel lucky enough to have been able to have seen him perform live um I saw him at the Oakdale of all places <laughs> um and I, you know, I, I feel blessed that I had that opportunity. I actually, I have a high school friend who lived out near um, Paisley Park uh, it, for many years and used to go there for, he'd have like shows for fans and stuff there mm-hmm. and went to probably like 30 of those over the time that he lived there. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine, you know, like having been, you know, been able to witness some of that. So. We're going to take a very short break, Kelly, and uh, listen to and hear from our wonderful sponsor, Ion Bank. And they'll be right back. And I would love to talk to you when we get back about where you think the Connecticut music scene is going post-COVID. So we're going to be right back, everybody. The pandemic has affected our business. We are down roughly 70%. I was nervous, I was scared. When the PPP loan program was announced, the first people we reached out to were our partners at Ion Bank. We were very, very pleased to be approved through Ion Bank, and they took the time and the effort to make sure that we were going to be okay. The team at Ion Bank has just done everything possible and went above and beyond, as they always do, All right, everybody, we are back with Concert Conversation. Today, I have a very interesting guest, Kelly Lambert. Kelly is a writer, a thinker, and a coffee drinker, which uh, <laughs> definite, definitely <laughs> makes me feel good because uh, I've gotten so lazy in my older years that if I don't have two hours of relaxation before I start the day with a cup of, you know, cups of coffee, uh, I'm in, I'm in tough shape. So, so Kelly, you are, um, a prolific writer and you've been doing this for a long, long time in, in, uh, in the market. Um, I, we wanted to talk a little bit about the COVID issue in music. And, you know, I, I have talked to anybody from, uh, Mark Farner from Grand Funk to, um, John Oates with Hall and Oates, and they all said the same thing to me. You know, they said music gave us a uh, the music break, although we didn't mm-hmm. want it. Kind of gave us a little bit of time to rethink and kind of retool our perspective in music, uh, especially not knowing where it's going. So anyway, what what are your thoughts? What what do you think we're going to see in the the music scene coming up? Well, I was uh, you know I. I only went to one show last year, believe it or not. I was lucky enough to get it. Actually, I should say two because I went to one before the shutdown. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I was, I'm someone who goes to a lot of concerts. I, it's kind of like a stress reliever for me mm-hmm. to be able to go to see 
live music. So I, I always enjoyed that. And certain performers, if they came by, I'd always make sure I went to their shows. Um, so I was feeling that um, last year that we, you know, we didn't have that. And so I, I think that, like you said, it was a break for us to reevaluate a lot of things. I think the music that comes out of this time we might see changes in music of how people, um, the songs that we get, I start to think like, are we going to enter, you know, like a, I don't want to say a protest music era, but kind of like a social justice era of music and writing more about things in life that really um, work for change. Mm -hmm. I I think that our venues are going to reevaluate how we see concerts you know like obviously that's already happening um there you know we're not out of this yet so will we be allowed to go see a concert at a venue where they pack in thirty thousand people like elbow to elbow right you know i don't i don't know if that is going to happen anytime soon um i went to south farms in morris last year i don't i'm sure many of you know people listening to this are music fans and Uh, And I was pleasantly surprised and very impressed with how that was run was probably one of the most enjoyable concert experiences I've had ever. Hmm. Um, And maybe it was because I was feeling deprived. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Pent up demand, uh, right? Yeah. So, but I did enjoy every aspect of it. You know, I felt it was well run. I felt that, what they offered beyond the music, like the, you know, they had local um, food and drink and um, the way it was set up was very um, considerate to everything. And I really, I enjoyed it a great deal. And I know that they're uh, the same people are working on a, the West Haven uh, music bowl, I think it's called or something. It's where the Yale bowl is down there. Mm-hmm. They're going to be running similar shows. So I think that we're, we might be headed to smaller shows for a while, you know, smaller, you know, more spread out outdoor venues that we, people can spread out. One of the things that came out of this whole thing that I think people don't think about is that we think about the musicians not performing, but we're not, are we thinking about all the support people that aren't working right you know like the road crews the venue employees the um all those people that you know the sound engineers like these people were out of work and a lot of them are not salaried in any way so you know if you're like a contract worker that has to be a huge struggle for a lot of those people to survive um and I wonder if many of them are going to leave the business because of the instability they had over the past year. Yeah, you know, I, I believe I believe you're right. I believe we're going to see a lot of new faces, probably with less experience, um, going forward. Yeah, so on the, on the support side, it's a it's kind of a shame, you know, like. Um, but I do feel that, you know, those people were, we didn't think about them maybe as much. There was a couple performers that really drew attention to that issue. Um, and then, you know, you have, you know, the larger performers that come through on the massive tours, like they're going to survive. Okay. Probably coming out of COVID, but it's the little 
the, you know, the more regional performers, there was a fund, I had to look up the name, that was started for um, New England. It's called the New England Musicians Relief Fund. Mm, right. And they raised some money for musicians, you know, gig performers in the area to apply for grants to pay their bills, you know, while while everything was kind of shut down, which was a kind of nice aspect that they that they were able to help some people there. But um, I think that, you know, with the summer coming now, we, we're probably, you know, we're going to have some outdoor shows. People are going to be hired to play smaller venues. I don't see the the massive scale concerts coming back until next year. Yeah, um, you know, um, I'm starting to book uh, festivals, but I won't take yeah. any. I won't take anything before August. Um, I've turned down some stuff, and I'm only doing uh, outdoor shows just because. It, you know, we think we're out of the rain because everyone's, you know, getting the COVID shot and that kind of thing. But there's still, I think we're still there. And I I want to make sure that if I'm going to be bringing people to a show that they're not going to end up, you know, being a casualty to, uh, down right. the road. So I, I will tell you this, you know, because I speak to hundreds of musicians. Um, many musicians are like me. And although they weren't performing live, uh, they put all their energy still into music, so they're doing things like, uh, you know, writing and yeah. recording and doing, uh, I guess you could call them taped live shows uh, yeah. all over, you know, all over the country. And uh, and I have connections uh, in China because I've, I've played there, and they're doing the same thing there uh, that we're doing here. So musicians are still busy, <laughs> you know. Right. And I think we might see, um, you know, the streaming show became very popular this yeah. year. Yeah. I think we may see that uh, a combination of that with live shows in the future. You know, there I think um, actually at one venue, I want to say it might be Ridgefield Playhouse was doing where they have like in-person tickets, but they also have virtual tickets. So who knows, that may be something that comes out of this, is that maybe some people don't want to go stand elbow to elbow with people, but they want to see, you know, something from that tour so they can purchase the virtual ticket for, a, you know, a special a festival or a special performance. Well, you know, and, I mean, people, people, if, if you look at football, you know, there are people that pay pay-per-view for, you know, the fight or the, the special game. Uh, and then there are people that go to it, you know, in person. So it, it's already out there. And let's hope, I, I hope you're right. I hope it actually ends up being part of, you know, the addition to the music scene. One of the things that has hurt music, and, and this is why in a way this might be good, uh, first of all, a lot of venues, even good venues, you know, will say, oh, you know, come for free, you know, basically, or, you know, you need to bring your 30 people or, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll pay you a percentage of something. Uh, and then you get there uh, and th that doesn't always pan out. And then all of a sudden you find out that, you know, younger people aren't buying CDs anymore because they're not right. in their cars and it's. So it's it's all about streaming. So where do you end up making money? And you, and believe it, it's an art form, but it's it can't be free because it's expensive. 
It is. And I do think that that's over, you know, I've written about music for decades now, and that's been one of the changes is that you don't, you know, these musicians aren't making money off of album sales anymore. No. Um, it's all, it's all the touring, um, you know, like the big people. And so if you can't tour, <laughs> then what are you, what are you going to do? You know, and I know musicians that have given away uh, their albums for free because they know that, people are going to do you know they're going to download the music from youtube you know and, and listen to it which is yeah, very or, Spot, sad. or spotify now i mean yeah. it's there there are very few ways uh to make money uh and even big guys like you know john oates was complaining about the the lack of those kinds of sales um you know and he's you know leagues ahead of the of the rest of us uh yeah you know with with credentials that we'll, we'll never be able to make up. Kelly, I want to thank you very much. This has been great. Uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, I, I'd like to have you back. I actually, okay. I actually think it would be very cool to have you come back and talk to us about um, post-pandemic, uh, where you see things going and maybe highlight some shows. And eventually, you know, the Palace Theater and Waterbury, as you uh, know, they're, they're gearing up and trying to figure out where the next shows and when the next shows are going to come. And I know you're going to be on the case with that. So I would love to have you come back and uh, talk to us about some of the shows. We could highlight them and talk about the, the, the world post-pandemic. Uh, Definitely. I'd love to do that. Thank you so much for coming. I'm really, uh, really glad you came on the show. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. All righty. Well, everybody, uh, that's a session for um, Concert Conversations. Make sure you stay tuned to us and for us coming up. We have a lot of different guests coming up, some musicians and people like Kelly Lambert who are behind the scenes. So it'll give you good information about the music business in Connecticut. Have a great day, everyone, and please wear your masks. <laughs>